Welcome to the podcast, Life Lessons from Travels Off the Beaten Path. Hi, my name is Justine Murray, and I'm also known as Lighter Step Justine, as we strive to step lightly across the earth and only leave footprints. This podcast is about the life lessons I've learned as a traveler, particularly when I decided to step off the beaten path. Mostly this occurred in the non-digital era when there was no internet or mobile phones. My sometimes bizarre and always unforgettable adventures around the globe, often as a solo woman traveller, gave me great insight into living a fulfilled life, blessed with all my senses, to enjoy the wonders the world has to offer. From wildlife encounters, to midnight crashes, to dodging stalkers and trekking with tribes, to travelling with a child and around work commitments. I will entertain you with my stories and what each adventure has taught me, along with some general travel and life wisdom along the way. I also will be bringing in other travellers who can captivate us with their own travel stories and the life lessons they have learned. So tune in to me each week and let's get entertained with travel. Okay, back to my African overland trip. I've been away a week because really been trying to remember which direction I went from now because we are talking at least 20 years ago and I knew vaguely my direction but and I have patches in which I remember but there's some obviously some grey areas in between as well because I, I remember the more, most important or the really um, exciting or scary or um, something that yeah, really jolted my memory but the the mundane or the frequent I don't always remember so we left off with the gorillas and we, we came down off that on, a, on such a high and so our next mission was to get to Uganda and that was where we were going to meet up with the truck again at Uganda. Uh, and so this is where it's a bit grey, but we caught quite a, a few different modes of transport. We caught a truck, we caught a minivan, we caught a, a, a ute, a bucky, uh, and... We caught them in uh, different phases along the way, but I'm not 100% clear where each fitted in, except for the ute um, and, and the minivan, actually. But I remember we were making our way to Butembo, uh, which is going in the northerly direction away from Goma, past Lake Edward in the Great Lakes of Eastern Africa. And so at one stage, oh, we did all these different types of transport. And I remember looking out the window and, and watching the landscape or sitting on the truck. It was, um, you, know, I, you know, they still had their, their reins, so uh, the short reins. And so the 
often the road was very muddy and uh, lots of ruts and and that. so when we were on the truck sitting on top of the truck the very high truck uh, it was a very slow journey along this single lane track down from some of those mountains and then I remember we stayed in a village or a, um, a, a small town and we were waiting for transport and we basically sat I remember on the side of the road for like nine hours waiting for a bus to come along or in this case a minivan and I remember it was Jackie and I just sitting there waiting with our bags and we were surrounded by kids which is a normal thing in Africa you get surrounded by the kids and so it the first hour it was okay because while they surrounded us they kept asking us they didn't have much French no English and they spoke their their native language and so we had this conversation going on which was um, bonjour sava bon bon big big so they're saying good morning how are you bon bon as in have you got a sweet for us or a lolly and big big have you got a big pen now and we would go, bonjour, ça va? And we say, no, no, bonbon, no, big, big. And this was fine, but this went on. And as I said, we waited there for nine hours. So after the first hour, we're starting to get a bit tired of it. Well, and I'm not very patient at waiting. Uh, and by the end there, well, we're waiting for hours and these kids kept coming and going, bonjour, ça va, bon bon, big, big, bonjour, ça va, bon bon, big, big. By the end of it, we were yelling at them, we couldn't help, we, we were exasperated. No, bon bon, no, big, big, no, leave us alone. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was probably my longest wait for a bus and my longest test of patience I've ever had in my life. You, you know, normally if you have to wait that long, you're, you're somewhere. And, you know, this is the days before phones to entertain us or anything like this. So we were just basically sitting. I know um, Jackie, she was uh, writing in her, in her diary. But I don't recall doing much at all, but sitting there getting very exasperated. So eventually we got picked up and we left that village and we got to Butembo in the mountains and the way to Uganda was the normal way was to go up through Benny and then down again so it seemed and to me it sounded like a it was just a waste of time you just covering you going all the way up through this you know 
not the best roads, very winding, would take forever, and then come all the way back down again just to get to the 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 main uh, border post to get into Uganda in this area. And I sort of looked at the map and saw we could go down to actual Lake Edward uh, to a small fishing village called Kayavan Yongo, or I don't know how you say it, but K-Y-A-V-I-N-Y-O-N-G-E. And this was still in the um, Barunga National Park. And so we decided we'd go down there and see if we could get across. Uh, there's a river, get across the river. We were told there was a, um, a vehicle ferry and then we could go up and, and it was near near direct route, not quite, but near direct route towards the border post. And the only way to get down to this little fishing village was uh, to wait for the fishermen. So the fishermen would, would be fishing and then they'd drive up to the top of the, the range to the town of Vitembo and spend the day at the market selling their fish. And then in the afternoon, they'd drive back down and then spend the night fishing again. Now, <laughs> um, unfortunately, while they're at the markets, they were there all day and they drank all day as well. So by the time the afternoon we were sitting there waiting for them, by the afternoon, they were quite drunk. And there was only one ute or you know small truck to take us down there and already it had all the you know the fish the nets not nets but the fishing crates and that which they carried the fish up in so basically there was already i think four people in the cab and then we had to all climb up onto the top of all the fishing crates uh to get down and and otherwise it was a ah oh, it was a good 30 maybe to 50 kilometers down to the fishing village and we, we couldn't walk it so uh, and so all the people that had come up to market were also this was their only transport too so and plus the women so there was probably about four people in the cab and at least 20 in the back of this ute now i remember this trip because it was one of my most frightening trips I've ever done in my life because by the time we all squeezed on I ended up right perched on the side of the ute if you know that the side of it of the sides of a ute so it's only a you know very thin I basically had one handhold and I was perched on the side like a canary with one handhold in between my legs. That is all I had to hang on. And we went down this track that was the most scariest hairpin bend steep track I've ever done. And all I had to hold was that one hand and I had all these other bodies and objects and all that behind me, so I could not 
get further into the truck and I was hanging off the side there like that and I remember being frightened for my life that if we tipped if something happened if I came off I was gonna die this was ridiculous and I remember Jackie was somehow she'd managed to get up on the headboard and she was up the top and she was, I could hear her talking she was having the time of her life no problem whatsoever I don't think she realized the predicament I was in but I was silent the whole trip down I was so scared of this and, and don't forget the driver was drunk so we were going way too fast and down this road this steep road with this old ute that you know, probably shouldn't even be on the road and dodgy brakes, dodgy everything. And you know, people die like this all the time. And here I am hanging on. Uh, I don't know how, I know my, my arm started to cramp at some stage because it was at least half an hour. I was like that. My legs were cramping, everything was cramping, but I was so scared to shift position and move because you know, I was hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Eventually, we got down, and yes, obviously, I'm still here today. We we made it, and we got down to the the village. Now, uh, if you look on Google Maps now, you can see it's it's a popular tourist place. But when we went, it wasn't actually tourists weren't allowed down there, and they weren't definitely weren't allowed to go this way to the Ugandan border post so we actually were put on house arrest <laughs> and um, we weren't allowed to leave the house till they decided what to do to us now they couldn't take us back because no one was going back they, they only go back when they got the market day and so we they were stuck there for a couple of days uh, on the edge of the lake thinking what a beautiful place but we couldn't go anywhere we couldn't walk anywhere and then eventually they had a minivan was going through to the other side and was going to go across on the vehicle ferry. So they eventually allowed us to go with them because they really had no idea what to do with us. And so we, we were able to hop on the, the ferry. So and basically it was just barrels lashed, uh, you know, wood lashed on top of barrels and uh, the the people who were controlling it just used poles and pulled across the river with with one vehicle at a time. And and uh, it, we, when we were talking to them, apparently they had to be careful because there was hippos in the river and they had to make sure that obviously they didn't strike a hippo because it would be a disaster. Uh, and so, but it felt very safe. We were very, it was very stable when we got to the other side. Then we hopped back into the minivan and we drove all the way uh, up through the scrub and through it's still national park all the way to the border of Kasindi and Mapandwe on the Ugandan side. Now, uh, we went through there. Um, according to my passport, that was the 1st of April 1994 that we uh, made it into Uganda. The landscape we were travelling through in this area was basically we were right on the foothills of the Ruanzori Mountains National Park, which is the Mountains of the Moon, uh, which the explorer Stanley 
found in his explanation explorations and so we we're on the just on the foothills going into the plains and then which led into these big floodplains towards the lakes like Lake Edward and Lake George and uh, there's quite a lot of swamps and um, wetland areas as well so it was a beautiful countryside very populated yes but stunning vistas of the mountains against the, the flatness of the plains and then we spent a series of days making it all the way through to Cassesi. And the reason why we're going to Cassesi was because we wanted to catch uh, the train from Cassesi, which went from Cassesi all the way to Kampala. Now, apparently, the train doesn't exist anymore. Um, but that's what we're heading for. And part of that trip was going through the Queen Elizabeth National Park. And I remember being in the minivan trying to video and trying to see animals. And uh, most of the time it was just stark landscape. But then every now and then you'd see a, a herd of antelope or something and everyone nudge me and say, oh, look, 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 look. And so we'd, we'd see some antelope. It was pretty, it was, it was pretty exciting, but uh, nothing compared to the East, Eastern African parks. Uh, but you've got to remember that Queen Elizabeth was severely hammered by the Idi Amin administration in the days where they used to come and uh, open slaughter on the animals and it's renowned these days for its elephants on the plains of um, uh, where they mostly eat grass whereas a lot of the other places it's 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 uh, woodland and so um, there wasn't that many elephants definitely not old elephants in the park because of the EDM in days and uh, it was um, yeah not didn't have met much wildlife population uh, and at one stage we stopped I cannot for the life of me remember where but we stopped at a, a campsite and we ran into one of the guys that we had met on our travels through West Africa, the one that was driving the red Jeep. Um, I got Jeff in my mind, but I could be wrong. And uh, he was at this campsite too. So we had basically got back onto the trail that uh, the overlanders took while we, um, well, we had gone via all the boats and all the rivers and, and lakes. Uh, and I remember particularly this particular um, campsite because uh, it was it was a little bit in the country and there wasn't many people. It was just Jackie and I and this this other guy and a couple of others. And I remember that they bred German shepherds and I just I, I missed my dogs. I loved my dogs, so I made a big fuss on the shepherds. There was at least six or eight of them, uh, and they had created this crazy campsite and very very open 
area and uh, so it was an upstairs area and they had sort of these stairs which were like the sawn off steps of a, of a tree trunk, so horizontal, and they attached them to some bars to create stairs up to a landing that's where you sleep. And then downstairs is where is like was a bar and, and place to just hang around. So we had um, put our swags or what we call slept on upstairs. Oh, we didn't have a tent or anything. Um, we weren't carrying a tent, but we had something to sleep on, you know, sarongs and all that. And um, we were going downstairs and we hadn't for a while, but we, uh, you know, let our hair down and enjoyed ourselves because we we're in a bit more of a private place. So, you know, had a few drinks and, uh, you know, got slightly drunk and really enjoyed myself. And I, I'll never forget this because in one of my trips up or down the stairs, probably up, I tripped on the stairs and somehow uh, because the, the steps, as I said, they were just, you know, cross sections of these logs and they were still very roughly hewn with the bark and all that. So they were very rough on the edge and I managed to um, uh, slice into my toe right on the very edge uh, at the bottom of my big toe and oh, I did a really nasty job. I remember it absolutely killed and I was lucky I was drunk because I couldn't really feel it. And, you know, we're stuck in the middle of nowhere. I didn't know what to, we didn't know what to do, so I just sort of ignored it. And then in the morning, you know, obviously I woke up, this absolute throbbing of my foot, and I thought I'd better go down and wash it because I just, you, just, you have to keep things clean in uh, in Africa. So I went down, There's a little, there was a little stream at the, back of the place and I went down and I thought I'll just dunk my foot in and I'll oh my gosh it was the most excruciating pain of my life it was so bad I must have had some raw nerves uh, because the, the slice was probably it was at least uh, I've still got the scar so it was probably at least um, three centimeters long and at least a centimetre deep into my toe. And uh, I seriously, I don't think I screamed, but I had never felt such pain of an ice cold mountain creek that with raw nerves I just I dunked my toe into. So that was the end of that one dunk. <laughs> I wasn't game enough to do it any further. Um, and I just had to bandage it. But I was quite concerned as we were going through with this toe and, and you know, hygiene because all the way through this sort of areas, they're, it's, they're rough. There's just dirt and grass and every time you want to do something, you have to wa walk in the dirt and the grass and trying to keep a wound, especially on your foot, clean is really hard. And they also have um, bilharzia, which is the – I think it's a bacteria or parasite that's actually in snails, and uh, it's one of its hosts is snails. But then it it um go is a comes a host into humans, but it goes through any cut or anything on your body. So, you know, a few times I had to um, use creeks and streams, and I was really worried about uh, getting this parasite into my um 
into my body from the cut on my foot. So I'll leave it there uh, and we eventually made it to um, Carcesi and I'll pick that up on my next one because we're already 20 minutes in. Um, my life lessons from this was first off patience if, you know sitting for nine hours waiting for a bus with nothing to amuse yourself by there was nothing else but to learn patience to be surrounded by kids forever on you where you know we went from from acceptance to losing it to finally resignation and just letting it flow over us and not it, it was a um it was a bit of a humbling experience because the kids were only trying to interact and that's the only words they knew. Uh, and it really made us realise what African time was because there's no such thing as schedules or anything like that. It's just when things turned up in African time. Uh, my trip down the mountain where I hung on perched on the side of a ute like a bird with only one hand was, as I said, one of the scariest moments of my life. Uh, and somehow someone looked after me again and I didn't get killed. I didn't even get injured, but it was... So many things could have gone wrong, and I suppose now, with uh, with age and wisdom, I possibly would not have chosen that trip down there with drunks driving down that village. And yes, they've done it, you know, thousands of times, and been been uh, successful at it. But it only takes one time, and your life is not worth that. So yes, survived, but uh, I don't. I think I, I prayed so much on that trip to say, please, I'll do anything if I can just survive this trip. It was it was horrific, and and you think about people that are having their life threatened every single day. This was only one day, one hour or something. I was on this Ute, and uh, and I felt my life was in danger. You know, the people that live in war countries, war torn countries, and you know, there's bombings and and all sorts of things. They never know when they're going to get raided. Now they they have to put up with this every single day, every hour of the day, trying to raise a family. With that it's the stress that would be insane trying to raise a family in in that. And you know we're so lucky that most of us don't have to experience it. But there's people people are, and it's a horrible feeling. Um, in my brief little experience with it. Uh, the, the landscape, which we went through, all the, the foothills where all the villages were and, you know, the huts were, were basically all the way along the slope. Most of the trees have been taken out and it just made me wonder when the rains did come how much erosion occurs, how much of that soil disappears down that mountainside and into the rivers and creeks and how that affects the actual ecosystem with the 
uh, losing the you know the good soil mind you it, it is volcanic soil so it's it's, it's all good but still it'd be losing soil every single year and the effects on the on the water quality in the in the lakes and the river which affects your fish uh, and affects your plants and so it was my probably one of my first real insights into seeing a lot larger populations we're moving into east africa the population seems much larger the villages were larger and how that they were impacting on the environment around them from their collecting their wood so knocking down all the trees to collect firewood just to just to cook their dinners and keep warm and you know growing just on the sides of hills whatever crops they can and just you know subsistence surviving it would have been really difficult but you know there's no real thought on how to maintain these areas for for generations to come with all the the loss of soil and the and the effects on the environment The other thing I want to talk about is injuring yourself out in the bush in when you're traveling in remote areas can be quite serious because you don't have adequate access to proper treatment. So when I fell up or fell down the stairs and cut my toe open, there was no doctor uh, or hospital nearby. I was in a I was in a campsite in a you know in a small village on outskirts and sometimes you even if there was some sort of medical facility you really didn't want to go there because you're unsure how clean they are because a lot of the hospitals and medical centers there they would try and treat you but the family still had to come in and feed you and supply you with everything so uh, I thought it was a a little bit dodgy anyway so you know you always carry a first aid kit uh, which has your basics from your savlon and your bandaging and so I was able to use savlon and bind up my foot to try and keep any of the dirt out but it does not take long before the bandage gets dirty if it's especially on your foot and and because my foot was bandaged. I couldn't, it was very hard to wear my boots. So it made it quite difficult. And there was, you know, no access to proper washing facilities. You had to wash in, in the streams that you found. Uh, or a tap on the side of the road or in the middle of a village, just a tap. Um, and you have to be careful. So you have to really make sure, A, your tetanus is up to date, but make sure you carry 
enough first aid supplies with you and you know, I'm sure you can't carry a full first aid kit, but just have your basic ones and that you can bandage for, you know, for a few days uh, and you've got possibly saline to wash wounds out. I don't think I had that. And as soon as you can, when you find the the right facilities that you can actually go to those facilities and get it checked out, which I did. And I'll talk about that in a later episode. When I got to Nairobi, I went to Nairobi Hospital, but I spent probably a good few weeks with that cut on my foot before at least it was at least two weeks before I was able to get it seen to. So it's something to think about when you're traveling off the, off the track, how are you going to handle injuries, especially things like cuts and that, that when you don't have medical facilities close by. Uh, and then the last bit through the Queen Elizabeth National Park with the EDM in days, but I actually might cover that in the next episode because I, I, I want to bring that period up again uh, from our train ride. Uh, okay, I will talk to you next time on our fascinating train journey from um, Kasesi to Kampala, who we met, what we saw. And this is a train ride that doesn't exist anymore. The train line is not there, which blows my mind how they can re totally remove a train line. Um, but they are thinking of putting it back together. But anyway, I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Like always, I want to leave you with a thought to consider. What is your environmental and cultural footprint when you travel? How are you showing up to the country and the culture you are showing up with to make a better interaction for all concerned? Leaving the environment as you found it, reducing your impact on local resources and cultures to come out with such a positive outlook for both the local population and environment and yourself. Okay, please follow my podcast if you're enjoying what you are hearing and share it to others so they too may be inspired. I'll catch you next time.